Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting behind the glass inside the fish tank is... Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, I ask you for a secret handshake. Mm. I ask you for a password. That's the only way you're getting my top five movies about secret societies. Oh, okay. Well, I just so happen to know this um, handshake here. That, this right? is a podcast. They can't see what you're doing. No, with well, your we hands. just shook our hands in this it, very special way. It looked really strange what you were doing. Well, there. did I get it right? I mean, am I in? I guess. Thank you. I studied that for weeks. <laughs> for weeks. <laughs> you, My you, hands actually hurt. You, you're an I guess. You know, am I in? Everybody in the club at that point is like, yeah, I guess. It's let, funny because my in. name is actually Matt I guess K. <laughs> We, I always wondered where that came hey, from. Hey, we're doing our top five m- movies about secret societies. Yeah, this is actually kind of cool. We're going to be talking some John Wick, and it comes up in John Wick that there is a whole secret society of assassins. This sort of thing fascinates me. I yeah, mean, John me Wick too. is a little silly and fun, but there are some really serious movies that explore this. Well, whenever it pops up in the movie, that element of a secret society where sometimes they got to travel to a hotel that only certain people use or they go underground, I love that. It's so fascinating to me. Fascinating. And I do believe some of it, to an extent, exists. I mean, not not to the... Oh, sure. Not so Hollywoodized that we see in so many movies, but it's still a very fun topic. I just went to a uh, Masonic memorial service uh, at a uh, Masonic temple in Chicago. And yeah, it it exists. They're mostly um, older gentlemen in fezes. But uh, yeah, secret societies are real. Are you part of any? Uh, No. I mean, unless you count like, I was a Cub Scout. Is that really a secret society? (laughs) No. It's got its own handshake. What the hell are you talking about? I don't know. Well, are you? No. Phil? Any secret societies in your life? Any that you can uh, discuss on, on Cinema Jaw? Don't worry about it. Oof. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, I knew probably, we shouldn't have went there. Yeah. <laughs> and you see the look he gave us? He's probably in a few. <laughs> <laughs> Something really weird going on with that guy. <laughs> For sure. Oh, man. Besides that, we have a lot more going on here, don't we, Phil? Oh, you know it. We are going eye for an eye on, like Ryan said, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. And we have a review of the new Netflix original, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. What a title. More, yeah. more on that in a second. Um, we have no guests this week, and you probably heard us, Jawhead, say that if you answer the riddle correctly, uh, the monthly riddle that we do, we give you a chance to take Matt K on in trivia. And in March, uh, Sean Verma won, and he said, hey, I want to take Matt K on. And not only that, I want to bet Matt K a bottle of alcohol. Yeah, I this, don't know if this is going to start like a trend. Everyone's right. going to want to bet so, me. So behind the scenes, these emails went back and forth between myself, Matt, and Sean about uh, what bottle of uh, alcohol everybody should put up to the table. Matt came up with something, and Sean. So we'll discuss that. But we are going to call Sean later in the uh, podcast, and we are going to play 
title character movie trivia. Sounds good. So think of movies that have the title character in in the in the in the title itself of the movie, like John Wick. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. Got it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, Matt, we're still celebrating Keanu Reeves Month. Whoa! So let's start with a fact about Keanu Reeves, shall we not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Today's cinema jaw Keanu Reeves fact. Did you know that Keanu is a poet? Keanu Reeves wrote a book of sad poems titled An Ode to Happiness as a joke after a photo of him looking sad and eating a sandwich alone on a bench went viral. The book was illustrated by the Los Angeles artist Alexander Grant. Reeves and Grant went to Germany to work with renowned artist, books printer Gerald Steidel to publish 4,000 limited edition copies. About the book, Reeves said, hopefully looking at this, you can come out of it and become objectively about what circumstances you're going through and maybe have a bit of a smile about it. Well, at least he's got a sense of humor about himself. Yeah, I think he is self-aware that... Because I'll be, I'll be completely honest, when that story began, I was laughing like he's... <laughs> I thought maybe he was a serious poet. No. He's, no, uh... he, I think he's sort of got an idea that this is somewhat of a joke that he's going to write these these poems quick quick story here me and ryan were doing c2e2 once back in the days maybe even before elias do you remember this and across we were in artist alley still and we had a table had our podcast set up and polling people as they walked by and who should be across the the row from us none other than shia labeouf right there at a table in artist alley at c2e2 Directly opposite Cinema Jaw, and and you say that because Artist Alley is very approachable. It's not like a, a large booth with you know a line. This is just a, a, well, a long strip a little... of yeah, but it's a long strip of tables with just usually comic book artists, podcasters, that sort of it's, thing. It's very and, dense, and then all of a sudden, Mister Labouf. And then all of a sudden, Mr. LaBeouf. And, and and I don't think he was poking fun at himself with his foray into uh, comics and poetry. Um, but there he is, Shia LaBeouf. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I love getting these facts about Keanu Reeves. That's part of the fun of celebrating these different people every single month. Yeah, people, aspects of film, we should In say. fact, I was looking at one today on uh, the internet, looking up stuff on Keanu Reeves, and I had no idea that at one point, going back, because it's been in development for so long, that uh, at one point, I want to say seven or eight years ago, Keanu Reeves was actually attached to star in the live-action adaptation of Akira. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if the movie should or shouldn't even oh, be man, made to no, begin I'm with. Oh, man, I'm stoked. But, Hold on. What, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean I'm to I'm ready you guys. for this one, man. Yeah. No. No, no. Phil's, an, a, Phil's an Akira fan as well. I am absolutely an Akira fan, and this is a terrible idea. No, this is, this is a terrible I idea. I can't wait, man. You, you guys have talked about this before, too. I know, Phil, you're adamant about not, them not making it. I think that was one of the first things when I first met you guys I said. Dude, I think you're dead, dead wrong. I've been waiting for the live-action adaptation my entire life almost. Well, different strokes. Hold on, hold on. If you guys want, because we were going to talk about Zac Efron in a war coming up here, Yeah, I, we can throw that to another week. Okay, well, so what are you saying? Me and Phil do a cinema war? Why, well, not? Throw down. why not? Why not change things up here? I will absolutely throw it. down. Ready? Cinema, cinema war. war. Wow. This is history, Jawheads. Never... Before has a cinema war went down that didn't take place between me and Matt. So this is a first. This is a first. Wow! First time we're, ever. We're breaking Phil, new ground, Phil. 
I I am very excited. This, I'm honored. No pressure, big. but I have to defend Cinema Jaw's honor because in this case, you know, I'm not even thinking well, about it. But I have to play judge now. Oh, now I'm nervous. Maybe we should get an outside arbitrator on wow, this. Wow, this is rough. <laughs> Remember when we used to go to the bar and grab a judge? Here's what I will time. say: I feel great because normally it would have to be me who judges, and now finally one of you guys can understand. That's a lot of pressure. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I I completely understand. Ryan doesn't care though. <laughs> I don't think you you would feel that pressure. You also can't no. see the twenty dollars I just gave him. <laughs> Is that what was going on under the table? I thought you guys were working on your secret handshake. All right, one other order of business we want to take place at the uh, top of the show here is last week Matt was the first jawhead to imitate Keanu Reeves' famous line of "Whoa," and we said we'd go round robin and sort of uh, take turns doing it. So this is my week. Okay. And I chose a different Keanu Woe. Um, this one comes to us uh, years later. You, you actually did it off of... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Years later, he refined that famous line of his in The Matrix to refresh the Jawhead's memories. This is what it sounded like in The Matrix. Whoa. Very subtle. It's like, a, it's like fine wine. He's sort of gotten uh, a little more mature with the woe. So here I go. Okay, let's hear it. Small drum roll, Matt. Thank you. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Terrible, right? No, I don't know. I mean, it's such a short word. I don't know how you could do it poorly. You just said whoa. I don't think I sounded like Keanu. I don't though. think you sounded like Keanu either. And I was trying to. That's I'm really upset with Did myself. Did I last week? Can I have another shot at this? Yeah, I see. Right, give say me yes. one. Give me one okay, more. Okay, let's go. Whoa. <laughs> I think that one was worse. I did too. That was more like El Pacino. What the hell is going on? Right, last one. All right. Whoa. Much better. That was, yeah. We'll go with that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But leave all three in, Phil. Hopefully everybody enjoys. Yeah, I think they will. Oh, man. The Al Pacino one was my favorite. <laughs> I agree. Because well, what we have the luxury of is that we can see Ryan's face. Yeah, he's cracking up. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Good time. So uh, no guest. So we get things rolling with Eye for an Eye. Yes. Eye for an Eye, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Super assassin John Wick is on the run after killing a member of the International Assassins Guild. With a $14 million price tag on his head, he is the target of hitmen and women everywhere. The film stars Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, Lawrence Fishburne, and, also joining the fun this time around, Oscar winner Holly Berry. The movie is directed by Chad Stahalski, who also directed the first two John Wick films. Rye, we throw it on over to you. This is really something special going on here, because I I love that uh, you get like a Keanu Reeves, you've really never can almost know what's going to happen with the Keanu Reeves movie. He he just recently, it was last year, I had this movie Replicas on my summer movie list. It got pushed to like a January DVD release, mm-hmm. and it's just got panned. I haven't even caught up with it yet. So it, it could go that way, right? But you go back some years ago, same thing with John Wick. No one knew what was going to come of this thing, and bam, you have like a, a smash hit. Everybody well, starts. The first one's more of a cult. Yeah, more of a cult hit. But everybody starts watching it. It gets a sequel, and it it seems like everybody joined the fun in the theater. It it grew, and that that little circle of the world that we knew of John Wick in the first one expanded 
by about five times. So we got to see a lot more of the world building of what was going on in the John Wick. And it was intriguing to all of us. So now this whole secret world of assassins is, you know, interesting. Let's see what's going to happen. Very interested in John Wick, number three. Uh, interested, first of all. But $14 million on John Wick? I mean, dude, double it, triple it. This guy is a cold killer, man. I, I wouldn't go near him for $14 million. Maybe $100 million. And it does seem like he has that reputation, too. So. Oh, yeah, he does. Phil? I, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, 100% interested. I think I'm excited because I feel like these movies in particular just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more over the top, uh, which is a great summer fun. Who, who could want anything else? Yeah. And that Holly Berry's involved, I think, is pretty cool. I guess, I mean, are they pulling, like, not that Holly Berry isn't amazing, she is, but are they pulling, like, Bond girl type stuff by, like, getting, like, I a, don't think so. an attractive actress involved? I mean, I believe she's an assassin in the movie as well, so. Cool. I'm down. Could be really awesome. I know this is going to be our review next week, too. It is. So. That's a little foreshadowing, Jawheads. Can't wait. Speaking of new movies, Matt, we actually hit Netflix one this time. We did. Uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Netflix's latest original from true crime director Joe Berlinger is a telling of the media circus that were the trials of the serial killer Ted Bundy. Will this movie slay you, or is it just torture? Ryan and I headed to the stream to find out. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been witness to the unspeakable horrors of the defendant's heinous crimes. You have seen ghastly injuries, smashed in faces, broken jaws. Will the defendant please rise? For years, I've carried this guilt that I'm to blame for everything. <laughs> If only I hadn't trusted you. I promise you'll never leave me in this. It's about another missing girl, isn't it? Ted, did you do it? No. I can honestly say that this movie is the scariest film I have seen so far this year. It achieves this not with gore or even or even cold verbal recounts of the crimes, both of which are used very sparingly when used at all. No, what makes it get under your skin, pun intended, is the chilling, accurate, and magnetic performance of Zac Efron as Bundy. The true life story paints the picture of a sociopath so classic that he's pretty much the source of all the commonly held notions about what psychopathy actually is. What makes it so scary is how effectively it illustrates the facts that these people can be your neighbors, co-workers, or even your lovers, and you would likely never even know. Efron makes you almost sympathize with one of America's most depraved murderers of all time, and that's an accomplishment. The film opens with single mom Liz on a rare date night out in the 70s. It's then that she meets the dashing and handsome Ted. He quickly steals her heart, and luckily for her, nothing else. Soon he's arrested for suspected kidnapping and thus begins a series of court cases, escapes, extraditions, and media circus that surrounded Bundy over the next decade or so of his life. Liz, played by Lily Collins, is racked with guilt and doesn't know whether to believe Ted's insistence that he's innocent, even as the evidence against him mounts up. We all know where the story ends, but damned if I wasn't along for the ride, Ryan. 
At some moments, I actually had to remind myself who Ted Bundy really was, as Efron had me hoping that he really was innocent and that it was a case of mistaken identity. That's how good this performance is. My main detraction is only that they may have taken this likability a little too far and waded into glorification. But the final moments of the film do dash any redemption from the character. It does skirt that line, however. If you like horror or true crime, this is one of the better entries in a good long while. Just get yourself ready for the trip down the Ted Bundy Wikipedia rabbit hole. It ain't no wonderland. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, I hit Wikipedia right. on Ted Bundy almost immediately <laughs> after the movie ended. Um, yeah, I, I was a, a overall a fan of this movie as well. Maybe I don't think, uh, sounding by how enthusiastic you were there, I might not have liked it as much, um, but... Yeah, his performance, Zac Efron, didn't know that he had it in him. Right. And who did? So very well casted. I think that it was a very uh, fine line to walk where you're right. He, he, they wanted to give you this idea that Ted Bundy, the character himself, had this sympathetic charm. vibe about him, charm. Yeah. Some Somehow he wooed a lot of people into thinking that he was just innocent and very likable. And so they tried to showcase that, but at the same time, you don't want that to to be the end-all result of the movie. You don't want to walk away saying, boy, I really feel bad for Ten Buddy. No. And so they do really at the end, I think I think they do, uh, give you enough reason to, re- to remind, you know, hey, remember, this guy was a serial killer that killed at least 30 people. Yeah. At least. Right. They do, they do show... One murder at the end, mm-hmm. which I think was important that we see him kill somebody. Actually, do I agree? Um, but a couple of things was this relationship between uh, Elizabeth or Liz, who's played by Lily Collins, and Ted Bundy is completely fascinating because he was actually uh, dating this woman and was engaged even at one point while he was doing these murders, but obviously never murdered her. her. Right. And I, I wanted a little bit more uh, insight if the filmmakers could have went into that route a little bit more. What was it exactly? And and I'll start with that question over to you. Do you think it was the fact because this girl, uh, Liz, does have a baby mm-hmm. that is introduced to Ted basically on their first date? He, he walks in. Or at least and, in the film. In the film, anyways. And he walks her home and the babysitter leaves and it's sort of the first time it's mentioned she has a baby and, you know, Ted sees the baby. Do you think it was that? And and if so, why did he care about this one particular lady losing, you know, uh, killing a mother, I should say, mm. and he didn't any of the other times? Right. No, I guess I did. I, I mean, this is armchair psychology here. I, I guess I did kind of wonder what the filmmakers were trying to say with that. Is he... Is he um, was he going to kill her, and then when he finds out that she has a baby, does he maybe think twice about it? Maybe. Maybe they were trying to say that. Um, but I also think that uh, he needed he needed a, a mask, and she was the perfect disguise for him. You know, to, he can get into this relationship, and suddenly he's a dad. He's a middle American uh, up-and-comer going to law school. He's got a wife and a kid, and he looks even more normal. So that's, I think, why he needed Liz. One other thing was there was obviously the uh, wonderful movie Zodiac about the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, David Fincher was able to do with that was give the whole movie such a like gloomy atmosphere yeah. where it creeped me out. 
I didn't feel that really existed in here. And I know what you're saying that you were scared because you were you were scared of how chilling his performance was that that he could be a killer and be so nice in when he's in front of you. That sort of gives you the willies, right? Oh yeah. But the the movie itself, maybe because it's a courtroom drama with flashbacks uh, to scenes, it isn't able to achieve that. But I wish it had more atmosphere in the movie. That's fair. I think that's fair. It is a little atmosphere messy. And we mentioned Efron. Lily Collins, also excellent as Great. Liz. Oh, yeah. And somebody else who pops up in this movie that needs to be mentioned is Haley Joe Osmond. Right. Shows up as her co-worker. And I have to say... Talk about scary. I mean, th- he is he is a strange looking adult. Well, his I think his eyes are a little too close together, so he looks like he's still got this like little kid face that just got pumped up by like a a, a, a basketball pump of air. That's exactly you know? what it looks like. It just looks like somebody just kept pumping him up full of air, and now he's now he's like a fat Haley Joe. He might pop, but he, I don't know. It's just very strange looking. I, he wasn't well, supposed to be a grown up. I think. I, I think that uh, this this happens often with child actors. I mean, take a look at. Um, What's his name from from Home Alone? Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, take a look at Macaulay. He, he didn't fare too much better. I think, uh, you know, most adults don't look like they did when they were children. Also in the cast, and I didn't even notice him, was James Hetfield of Metallica. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice him either. And I was looking for him, and I couldn't tell who it was. I think he's just one of the sheriffs or security guards. Can we mention Malkovich? And Malkovich as the judge. That took me out of the movie completely. I agree. And then I, I actually watched some video footage of the actual court because that was the other main thing that took place during this trial was this was the first time a camera was allowed in the courtroom. Right. So I was like, oh, wow, I'll go to YouTube and see if I could see any of this. Um, And so I I did, and the judge looked nothing like Malkovich. Like, you could see where they obviously tried to get Lily Collins to look like the girlfriend, get, you know— Right, Efron his other girlfriend. Like, yeah, everybody yeah. looked authentic, and then the judge just looked like uh, John Malkovich. Yeah, well, that's because like when it, the casting director was like, oh, "Hey guys, we got Malkovich. He, he's going to play the judge. And you think he'll do makeup?" And, and Malkovich is like, "I'm not doing any f-ing makeup. <laughs> Where's the gavel?" And that's that all was I it. Need. Yeah, that was all right. I mean, would you tell Malkovich to put makeup on? No, I just let him just let him do whatever he wants. Then. That's right. Yeah. Um, Let's break it down a little bit further. Uh, a favorite scene or element of this movie, Matt? Uh, so the breakfast. After their initial meeting, Ted and Lily have this breakfast with the baby. He's got her in her high chair with Cheerios and a bottle of milk. Uh, and she comes in thinking, wow, this guy's actually a sweetheart. You know, like I was a little worried for a second there when I didn't see my baby in my crib, in the crib. But he's fine. He's made breakfast and he's great. It's so subtle, though. He's he's holding a knife, you know, just so. And he takes a step toward them with the knife in his hand. They never really call that out. It's just there. Right. I liked that a lot. It's funny because my favorite uh, scene steps a little bit onto that one because it, there is a scene later on where she has uh, a flashback of memories of times that Ted could have been... Playing. Playing. And, and he could have maybe... Uh, took it a step further and, and, you know, went violent on her. And in those flashbacks, one is him holding the knife, talking to her, 
in that breakfast scene. And then there's another one when they're about to have some like passionate sex where he rips her shirt open mm-hmm. and she has this idea after hearing some of the gruesome facts that were, were taking place that Ted Bundy did when he murdered these people, sort of that idea that he like had her so vulnerable at this point and you know, that maybe like look in his eye that went from, you know, desire to almost that maddening killer look. Right. And the he desire just for love to the desire for blood. Yeah, but he just didn't go there with her. It was like he was right on the edge though. That's freaky. It's very freaky. That is what I'm telling you why I say this is such a scary movie. Because I think they did that so effectively. How about a problem with the film or an element that you didn't like? I, I actually tipped my hand on this one. It's Malkovich. I, I like Malkovich, don't get me wrong, but it just took me out of the movie. Like, oh, there's Malkovich. It, it, it didn't make sense. Mine, I hate the title of this movie. Yeah. I, I just can't stand it. And then I, I always, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, when a movie then has characters mention the title. Well, that's from courtroom testimony. Exactly. So this is from the judge, uh, and it's transcript from um, the courtroom. Right. It's in he, those YouTube videos. You right. Watched. And so he does actually say the title of the movie, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Vile. But no, I'm telling you, didn't you, get it right. I, yeah, and you, you could have came up with something a bit and, more creative. And I what's the with the, the the lack of an Oxford comma between evil <laughs> yeah, and the word no and. comma, right? No Oxford comma. So so that, and then one other thing I actually had an issue with was I felt the tribute that they do at the end to uh, uh, Ted Bundy's known victims, the ones that they know that he killed. Weak sauce. It, very weak sauce. I mean, it almost felt tacked on, not heartfelt. And if you're going to make a movie that's going to somewhat, in some way, like this does, glorify the killer, you got to be a little bit more, you know, heartfelt with the tribute the to the victims. I, I didn't like that. It just felt like, here it is really quick. And then, like, what? I don't know. I, I Maybe really pictures thought, or yeah. handle it a little more care. I agree with you. I wonder if maybe they had trouble getting permission, you know, from from the uh, the families of the of the victims, and they all they could do was just put the names. And in. I, well, I know it sounds odd, but they put the the names up all in just like one cluster on the screen, so it just all comes up. Even if they did it where it slowly showed each name, it's just a, a way maybe to right. show it you're with right. a little bit more care than the way they showed it. It seems so half ass. Didn't like it at all. I agree with you, actually. I really do. This, Like I said, I think a lot of people are going to have trouble with this movie because uh, it does skirt that line, and some people might find that it goes over the line. Influences here, Mitt? The Bundy tapes. I, I mean, they got the, the permission for the Bundy tapes. They, this is kind of a one-two punch from Netflix on Ted Bundy. Uh, and then, I mean, it's got a touch of American Psycho, that guy who's trying to hold it together while he, he just can't control this impulse. I went sort of courtroom drama where it looked back at a, at a crime. I don't know why I picked JFK, but I did. <laughs> and uh, Monster with Charlize Theron. Yeah, so. that's a fair one. What'd you learn here, Matt? Uh, I learned way more than I wanted to about the crimes of Ted Bundy. And not, not necessarily from the film, but it's going to be almost inevitable that you, you're going to go down the, the Wikipedia uh, just prepare yourself because they're heinous. I was stunned that Ted Bundy actually escaped twice. Twice. That boggles my mind. Um, when you're talking about somebody that's wanted for such heinous crimes, to be able to literally escape once from prison and once from a courtroom seems just maddening to me how that they let that happen. Yeah. Well, there it is. It's how about a poster? Poster quote Zach Efron turns in a killer performance. It's kind of on the nose. Okay. I went with Ted Bundy is scary. 
but not as scary as Haley Joe Osmond as an adult. <laughs> oh, come on. He's that is not fair. Looking. He's weird looking. Dude, I'm he's, he's not that weird looking. He's a normal looking dude. You're just expecting to see the little kid from Sixth Sense. It looks like somebody put a, a air hose on him and blew him up. I don't know. Well. All right. How many Jaws here, Matt K? Th- three Jaws. I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I thought, I've, I've, like I said, you liked it probably a little bit more than me. Two and a half Jaws for me, but... Uh, it's it's chilling. I recommend, yeah. It's haunting. So, whew, that was uh, our review of Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Vile. No, you got it wrong again. Extremely Wicked. Shockingly Evil and Vile. Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. Right, with no Oxford comma. Oh, my goodness. If uh, you've seen it since on Netflix, write us your review. Feedback at cinemajaw.com. Let us know what you think. All right, John Wick's coming out. We got a secret society of assassins. Right, well, yeah. And so we decided to do a fun top five list on our favorite movies dealing with or an element of a secret society. You want to get us started, Matt? Yeah, I was wondering how you were going to segue from uh, the, the Ted Bundy movie. Just got to the... jump right back yeah. into Wick. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. Let's get away from that movie. All right, here we go. At number five, I have a movie that is one of the strangest uh, body horror movies I've ever seen. I-, I bring it up occasionally because I think it's 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 good. You won't like it, Ryan. Don't even bother watching it, Phil. I'm not sure about you either, frankly. But I know there's some jawheads out there that that like the like Cronenberg type uh, weirdness. This one's called Society, and it's I not have not seen it. Yeah, it's not Cronenberg. Here's here's the thing. Uh, this this kid starts to become paranoid because of circumstances that his family may be part of some sort of weird um, cult, maybe even a sex cult. And uh, at some point in the film, he gets tapes that seem to portray in audio his family indulging in some kind of uh, violent orgy. And he continues to investigate. Weird things happen. People disappear. People are dead. But then they're back the next day. He is like, what the hell's going on? The whole movie culminates in one of the best uh, splatter scenes outside of a Peter Jackson movie that I've ever seen. Wow! And and I don't want to spoil it because some of the special effects are are truly truly special with with bodies melting into one another. But at one point, he gets into a fist fight with one of these creatures, let's say, and he uh, puts his hand at, at up his opponent's butt, okay, um, and keeps going until his his fingers come out of the guy's mouth oh, that's disgusting. and eye holes he grabs the face from the inside mind you and pulls this person inside out oh. and that's the kind of movie society is ryan wow yeah i'll take a hard pass it's awesome it is straight up awesome and what years are we talking Can we throw that in the fish tank what i think year it's like 80 88 89 fish tank all right I mean, what kind of special effects? Decent? Oh, yeah, all practical. Oh, that's what I was wondering. I mean, it, it was... Um, I can't remember the guy's name. He's got a really strange name. Throw that in the fish tank, too. It's like Mad George something. Hmm. The guy was pretty famous for doing a lot of special effects. Wow. We switch uh, fr- gears hardcore here from your number five pick to mine. I don't know if you saw this one, and it's it's kind of a cheesy movie, but I enjoyed it on the level of the secret society, and it, it clearly was writing the coattails of uh, a certain book turned into a movie that was a phenomenon at the time. Oh, Harry Potter? (laughs) 2004, the foolish Nick Cage teamed up with John Voight for the movie National Treasure. 
You remember this one? Yeah, I do. That's the Illuminati, right? Is that the... Well, it's the Freemasons. The Freemasons. Yes. So the idea is that, uh, the, what is it, the Templar Knights, Templar Knights uh, in England, yeah. um, somewhere throughout time had been collecting all of this treasure all around like Europe, and um, they gave it over to the Freemasons, and they moved it over to the U.S., and then the Founding Fathers of the United States actually knew about this treasure and everything they sort of created about the country is in a way to one protect the treasure but two to give you somewhat of a roadmap to figure out yeah, how, to, how to find that, the treasure. That's why they started the country for, so Nicolas Cage can go on a scavenger hunt. Exactly. So all of a sudden uh, one minute you think you're looking at a one dollar bill. No, no, Matt. You're looking at a treasure map. Mm. The one dollar bill has a big hidden meaning and they, they explain that and I this is why I liked it. Granted, it's foolish at times, and it's Nick Cage, and it's foolish. But I love that kind of stuff when you see something like the dollar bill all the time in front of you, and then someone points something out, why that pyramid with the eye is on the back of the dollar bill. And you're like, yeah, why is that on there? You know, like you have that moment. And the movie does create a little bit of that. Like, well, why do you think it was built over in such and such state, say a particular monument? And you're like, yeah. Why was it? And all of a sudden, gets the wheels turning to like right. it's, a fun adventure. It's plausible. That that's part of the reason why like a thing like uh, like the Dan Brown books work. Right. That's what I was alluding to. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. I liked the movie. It's stupid but fun. My number five right. national treasure. All right. Fair enough. Uh, swings it to me, and at number four, this is where I have 2011 horror meta masterpiece, Cabin in the Woods. I guess there's a secret society. There is an entire secret society. And and spoiler alert if you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods by now. Um, they they think they're sort of well, I should say the audience, you will think you're sort of in a normal Cabin in the Woods type horror movie where people are being picked off one by one, but it, it turns out there's more going on and underneath this um, facility, this cabin in the woods, is a secret society of people that are trying to stop the end of the world. And, it, and they're not just in this one place. There's there's other gates around uh, the planet, and they have to keep all the gates closed by, by sacrificing victims to it. It's been a little while since I've seen it, so I hope I'm getting all those facts straight. But the ending of the movie is just so sublime, and uh, Sigourney Weaver turns up in just a great unexpected cameo. And the movie... Not to go back to the inside-out thing from my last pick, but it, the movie does sort of turn itself inside-out in a way. It's just a great one. I love it. It's a I cut was a above. big fan also. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of it as a secret society, but you are right. Yeah. Secret group society. Yeah, I guess it works for you. It's a secret society. They have their own structure. They have their own, like, they have office parties, for God's sake, Ryan. Hmm. I mean, it's a society. Pretty cool. All right. My number four is a smaller movie that came out in 2014. I know I have never talked about this one on the jaw. And doing research on this topic actually was was almost uh, shocked that I haven't brought it up because I, I enjoy the cast. Britt Marlin, Alexander Skarsgård, Ellen Page, and Pat Patricia Clarkson. The movie is called The East. And the East is the name of the underground activist group. Uh, they're uh, ecologists' organization, and they launch several attacks against corporations in an attempt to expose their corruption. So 
the idea is this little secret society called the East is going up to corporations that they feel have wronged the environment or have wronged uh, the human race by polluting the air or the water, and they actually um, do sort of like their own terrorist attacks on the corporations. So if it's a, a particular corporation polluting the air, they pollute that corporation office building. That's pretty cool. Right? Yeah. So so they're almost like anti-heroes because they're clearly doing something wrong and they're a little maddening, but their reasoning for doing it is righteous. They're doing the wrong things for all the right reasons. There you go. Nice. And it's What's it's, it called again? It's called The East. Nice. And it's it's a good little movie. I highly recommend checking this one out. Cool. All right. Um I got a good one at number 3. I've talked about this Not one. as good as mine. It's all right. Mm. It's okay, Ryan. No, not as good as my number three. You'll see what it is. Oh, oh, I see. Um, I'm going with Dark Days at number three. This is a documentary that um, our pal Charles Klein turned me on to way back when we weren't doing Cinema Jaws that long ago. And it's about a group of homeless people, and it's a documentary, who live beneath the streets of New York City in an abandoned um, subway tunnel. And this filmmaker got crazy access. I mean, he's he's down there in in these horrible tunnels with these people, documenting their life. He, the 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 bucket they they need to use for the restroom and their sleeping conditions, how they cook, how they steal electricity, um, how they get food, these types of things. It's like amazingly fascinating. It's shot in black and white, and I've never seen anything like it. It, it just sort of opened my eyes that there there are little secret societies, these pockets of people who live sort of off the grid. And now every time I go down Lower Wacker, I'm looking in the crevices and corners, and I see the tents, and I know yep. that... They that are there. It, they're there. But this one was particularly harrowing and strange in that they were out of the sunlight altogether. Wow. And just They would literally crawl through manholes like they were chuds. It was unbelievable. Turns into the movie The Descent in a way, right? No, it has a happy ending, believe it or not. It's, it's, it's a worthy spin. I highly recommend it. Wow. Again... Hard change of the gears to my number three as I go, very funny movie, a comedy at my number three. Leave it to Edgar Wright uh, to team back up with Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Hot Fuzz. And the secret society here is the Neighborhood Watch Alliance, better known as the NWA. And, of course, if you've seen Hot Fuzz, who who hasn't? There are some just ridiculous uh, death scenes that take place in the beginning that are, are quite hilarious. And then to find out the reason for these killings is that the NWA, uh, for I, through, it's got even a funny name of the town that they are uh, representing or village in Hot Fuzz. Throw that in there. Um, but the village had won, like, the Neighborhood of the Year Award. <laughs> And that's it, why they're and so, defending so, their award. Yeah, so now they're killing people who they actually think may uh, hurt their chances on winning the award again. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's awesome. So you get that little that feeling as the the movie opens up that there's this secret society of uh, you know evil doers behind the scenes wreaking havoc just so that they can win neighborhood of the year award. That's again. sort of Love that's it. that's the exact plot of. Uh, Oh, uh, what's that Christian Slater movie where he plays the 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 proto podcaster? You know, I'll pump up the volume. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're kicking the bad kids out of school so they can get their test scores up. Right. Same thing. All right. Uh, swings it over to me, and at number two, I, I think we have to talk about this movie because it's a real life 
secret society. And I don't know that any other... Well, there's another one, but this one may be, of the two, the best one. Um, I'm talking about the Skull and Bones secret society as portrayed in The Good Shepherd. This was uh, a movie about the birth of the CIA, and it stars Matt Damon, Angelina Jolie. It's just bonkers. It's directed by Robert De Niro. It's kind of a slow burn. It's a little bit more Tinker Tailor than it is James Bond. But I also think that might be giving it a little bit too much credit. This wasn't a huge hit. No, it wasn't a great movie by any means. But I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I, I like a good slow spy movie. It's not a terrible movie. I think maybe it's time for a revisit. But I don't know that much about that secret society. The That's what makes Bones. it so cool. So it's a Yale secret society. Right. I was Because we're doing the research for this podcast, I was reading a little bit about it, and I was a little intrigued because I was like, maybe if I knew a little bit more about this secret society, I would have enjoyed that movie that much more. Right. Well, so a lot of the world's most powerful people mm-hmm. were Skull and Bones members, and it's... Uh, it's a it's a scary one because it's real, so that's my number two. My number two. Speaking of Dan Brown, um, he he loves these. Oh no, secret societies. Are you really? And maybe it is because I I did have the chance to uh, travel over to Italy and then I rewatched the movie. I'm going with his second uh, film. You it was Philistine. Actually, Are you serious? It was actually the first book, uh, 2009, Angels and Demons. I mean, I would have forgiven the Da Vinci Code a little bit, but Angels I mean, and demons. no. Tom Hanks does not have a mullet. <laughs> you mean uh, Robert Langton? No, I mean Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's horrible pick, dude. So, At number two? <laughs> number two. That's dime store trash. I, I love the, okay, you got a new pope uh, being picked. They got the conclave going on, and- I, I already like the the mystery of that. And, and the secret group here is the Illuminati. Right. Right. Which is probably the biggest secret society. Right. So that's intriguing. And the premise here is that four cardinals get kidnapped, and the Illuminati say they are going to kill one cardinal every hour between 8 and 12. And then at 12, they're actually going to uh, detonate a canister of antimatter. And it's basically going to wipe out Rome. Again, I think maybe part of the reason why I like that is the fact that, okay. How did I, you just say all that with a straight face? <laughs> because I read the book, I saw the movie, and then being over in Rome and seeing the places, it, it, it makes it again part of, uh, oh, this could be real. Wow. Dan Brown is a great way of going to these churches, looking at these monuments, figuring things out that would intrigue people. Uh, maybe it could be out there. You could see it. Yes, it's a stretch. But it's a fun stretch to go on. I would say Angel, not Angels and Demons, the other one, the, the Da, da Vinci, Vinci Code, Code, is the better of the two by far, man. Yeah, I don't know. But I think this one works better as the Secret Society. Okay. That's why I went with it. All right. You were saying that was going to be better than my pick? Or that was your number three? No, yeah, my number three, Hot Fuzz, was better than your Hot Fuzz number is three. pretty damn good. Yep. All right, that's... that's. Uh, All right, here's our number ones. We're into our ones. Number ones. And I know we didn't cross over, so this is good. So I'm going first, yeah? Go ahead. All right. My number one is... Well, I can't talk about it, Ryan, because that's the the first rule. Fight Club. Wow. I mean... Pedestrian pick, but okay. Is it a pedestrian pick? Yeah, I think most people... We're talking secret societies. I know, but I think most people listening to this podcast, as soon as we said secret societies, thought Project Mayhem. Phil's wagging his head no. He didn't think Fight Club. Listen, the thing is, we've talked about Fight Club in a number of ways, but it's often overlooked that what it really was 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 a a cult. It was him building this 
army, this secret society of followers, and and they have to go and execute Project Mayhem, you know, and they bring down the credit card corporations while the Pixies play at the end. It that's a part of it that we overlook, and I think that was an important part of it. Everyone's so focused on the fighting and Tyler Durden and all that stuff, you sort of forget about Bob and you know their relationship. Not I'm to mention Jared Leto. Glad it came up. Yeah. My number one pick involves an assassin who is really good with a, a pistol, can shoot a lot of people. Uh, a secret society of is, assassins. Is Meatloaf in it? A secret society of assassins. Um, car chases, ridiculous action, a lot of fun. But you almost think I'm, I'm talking about John Wick again, I would, right? I would think that. That's what I'm thinking. 2008, Angelina Jolie... In Wanted. Boo. Man, boo. You've never seen the movie. I know you haven't. I've, I've asked you to watch this movie time I read the and comics. Time again. I read the comics. I read the comics. The movie is quality, man. Uh, you got Angelina Jolie, James McAvoy, Morgan Freeman, Terrence Stamp, the, the evil dude from uh, Zod and uh, the original Superman 2. Okay. So it's a secret society of assassins just like we're learning in John Wick. Like, Except they can curve bullets. They can curve bullets. Uh, the secret society is called the Fraternity. Uh, James McAvoy plays a guy who doesn't know that he is uh, the son of a great assassin. And he has this ability to uh, harness his adrenaline that makes his brain and his abilities and strength and all this uh, move so much faster than everybody else. It's a, it's a great movie, and it's a Chicago movie on top of it. They shot the whole thing here in Chicago. All right. I suppose I should I should see it before I completely bash it. it it's just fun is what it is. Oh, I mean, I did enjoy the comics. My number one, Wanted. I'm sure there's some Wanted fans out there. Any honorable mentions? I got a slew. That? I have a slew of honorable mentions. I was thinking of them as we were talking. Dead Poets Society, right away. Should have put that one on my list. Rosemary's Baby. Would have been on my list, but I talk about it a lot. The the neighbors are secret Satanists. I think that was very, very um, paranoia-inducing. Harry Potter, I, I made a joke about it, but it's true. There's a secret society of, of wizards when he goes into the alley and he taps and all the bricks step aside like he walks into a whole new world that he didn't know was there. The Institute, remember that uh, documentary? I love that documentary. I don't know if that's a society, though. Kind of it's is. It's more like a game being played. Well, sometimes that's what it is. And then uh, at number 11, so it's kind of a weak film, but the book is really good, The Stepford Wives. Mm, I agree with you. Weak, weak movie. But the concept is pretty neat. Yeah, but Christopher um, Walken. Other ones that we missed were The Adjustment Bureau. Oh, that's a good one, dude. Right? Yeah. So you got the secret society that basically makes sure that everything goes as planned, right? Right. <laughs> pretty cool concept. Another Matt Damon. Yeah. Again, the concept, I think, probably better than the execution of the movie, but I had fun with it. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. I talk about it all the time. Um, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. That's more cult-like. Mm. And then uh, who can forget the secret society of the crossed keys in the Grand Budapest Hotel? There's a quick montage of all the different uh, key keepers of the different hotels of Great Europe. Hilarious Wes Anderson moment. One of his best quick gags and taking a poke at the secret society in general. It's it's wonderful. Okay, I'll have to give that. I still haven't caught up with oh, that one. It's a great one. If we missed your favorite film about secret societies and you don't mind telling us the secret, 
write us feedback at cinemajaw.com or if you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at cinemajaw. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back, first time ever in the history of Jaw, Matt is taking Phil on in Cinema War dealing with Akira. Plus, we're going to talk to Jawhead Sean and play some movie trivia. Stick with us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And now, Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey have a moment in the classic 1991 film Point Break. This car doesn't have AC. It was a scorcher. Sweat secretions in the seat backs. Are you through, Mr. Wizard? Let me know if you find Jimmy Hoffa under the seat while you're at it. <laughs> oh, look at this. It's 7.30. Why, the night is still so young. The way you're going, you're going to be able to solve this case and start another one, huh? Drop car on my ass. You've been working bank robbery, what, 22 years? Yeah, 22 years. Man, L.A. has changed a lot during that time. The air got dirty and the sex got clean. Uh Uh-huh. So a guy with that kind of timing must have some theory about these guys. Leave it alone, Johnny. Okay, fine. You've given up. Fine. It doesn't mean I have to. Hey, hey, listen. Forget about it, kid. They are ghosts. Yeah, of course. What am I thinking? If you couldn't crack it with all your years of experience, it's impossible to conceive that I might have something to offer, right? Well, maybe I can do better than some over-the-hill burnout. Watch your mouth. Maybe you ought to just take some early retirement right now and get some rent-a-cop night security job. Tell Nam stories. Listen, you snot those little shit! I was taking shrapnel and caisson while you were crapping in your hands and rubbing it on your face! You mad? Yeah, I'm mad! Good and mad, Dad! What do you want to do about it? Feels good, doesn't it? Like you're still alive, right? Yeah! Well, since you're still alive and you're not in the box just yet, why don't you tell me this theory of yours and we'll go get these guys? <sighs> okay, hot shot. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. Definitely. Then here it is. The ex-presidents are surfers. Surfers? Surfers. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay with a quick announcement. The Chicago Critics Film Festival is happening once again May 17th through the 23rd at the wonderful Music Box Theater. The festival will open with a screening of St. Francis, a Chicago set film by Alex Thompson and Kelly O'Sullivan both of whom will be in attendance and closes with Paul Harrell's Light from Light, starring Jim Gaffigan, who will also be in attendance. Guys, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Danny Boyle's Yesterday is going to have its premiere there as well, and it is always a fantastic time with amazing, unprecedented access to filmmakers, stars, and all kinds of interesting discussions, panels, Q&As, and things like that, in addition to their wonderful lineup. If you want to know more or get tickets, we encourage you to go to chicagocriticsfilmfestival.com. They got the skinny. You can buy your tickets right there. And we hope to see you at the festival. Cheers. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. Hope you enjoyed that uh, wonderful clip of Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves. I mean, how could you not, right? Love it. Yeah, me too. It, it, it's funny because I, I, he's so calm, 
cool and collective in the John Wick movies. Just hearing him screaming at Gary Busey there was awesome. Yeah, he he rarely goes for the uh, the over the top Nicolas Cage type range. He always Man. sort of plays it close to the vest. Got to watch that Point Break again. Me too. That might be his best movie, right? Oh, come on. I mean, what do you got? You got the John Wick movies, yeah, Matrix, the Matrix. But as far as performance goes, I'm gonna have to rewatch it. Mm. Performance. He's actually given some good ones in smaller movies too, like my my own private Idaho. Yeah, uh, Scanner Darkly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Definitely a good one though. All right, Matt. Uh, before we get to trivia, we get yeah. Sean on the line, and mm. before we get to the cinema war between you and Phil, this is really going to be an interesting end of the show. We did throw some items into the fish tank, and I know Phil wants to swim up to the top. Let us know what we missed. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's just a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, <clears throat> real quick while I'm out, uh, I would like to disclaim something specifically to Matt, uh, and it's that having, I feel like I may be in the middle here. I've read both the comics and seen the movie of Wanted, and I don't think the movie is that great. So just to validate you, Matt. Wow. Wow. I mean, you're not alone, Phil. It, it, oh, you know what I could do? Hang on a second here. No. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, Matt? I'm, I'm looking up Wanted on Rotten Tomatoes. All right. I'll stand by mine. I know when I've watched a good movie. It's got to be it's got to be pretty decent. I I think like the 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 cutting, the editing is like just too a little bit too snappy for me. I'm pretty sure it's rotten. Here we go. Uh, it's seventy-one percent. Nice, certified okay. fresh. There we go. I told you. Only sixty-nine percent of the audience liked it. But now. how many of them read the comics? Uh, yeah. the graphic novel was really good. <clears throat> I was uh, right again. <laughs> anyways, uh, we'll we'll get on in. Um, so our first question that we threw in here today, uh, it was a two-parter. When did Society come out, and who had done the special effects? Uh, so the film came out in nineteen eighty-nine, almost the nineties. And the special effects, uh, Matt, you were right. It was done by his name is Screaming Mad George. Some That's of the, pretty uh, close. <clears throat> yeah, you just you were a screaming away. You had Mad George. Um, he he did a, a lot of other films too, but the biggest ones uh, I, I, that I saw at least were Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, there you go, right there alone. Predator. Uh, oh come on! Right, yeah, uh, and then there was like a couple of other like horror movies, specifically sequels because he did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was, by the way, Ride the Movie Guy. That was not Keanu Reeves. I, I know, did not edit tough. that in. I've been practicing it the whole break while you guys were away. I, I, did, I dropped about 30 of those. It's, it's tough to tell the difference at this point. <clears throat> so our next one, what is the name of the town in Hot Fuzz and, and what's the joke about it? Uh, I think uh, maybe there's something I'm missing. The town's just named Sanford. Hmm. Yeah, that is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I don't know if there's something I'm missing. I did remember uh, the other running gag throughout the is that the he comes from London and they keep calling him Sergeant Angle instead of Angel, but that has nothing to do with the town's name. Dude, I haven't seen Hot Fuzz in a long time. I gotta revisit. I love that movie. So we should much. we should just do the entire uh, Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg, yeah, Edgar Wright movies. Right. There's a name for him. The the, the it's like the ice cream. It's not yeah, Neapolitan. Yeah, it has something to do but... with the right with the ice creams. Yeah. Anyway, 
Anything Was else? Is that everything? It, yep, that's all we got. Oh. Wow. Jump back in that fish tank. Oh, well, we'll why do. not leave them out? I know. Because it brings us to Cinema War. And Cinema War works like this Phil and Matt are battling on a topic. And I, Ry the Movie Guy, am playing judge and jury. And we'll tell the Jawheads my honest opinion on who I think won this Cinema War. It's important because we're fighting for 20 seconds of jaw time to rant and rave on whatever these two want to. Now, we were talking about Akira live action, and Phil is adamant about the fact that he does not want to see a live action adaptation come to light. Matt, on the other side, would love to see a live action adaptation come to light. Let's let this cinema war begin. Phil, I have been a fan of Akira since 1988, and I'm so tempted to use the Gary Busey line right here, but I won't. A full five years before you were born, this cyberpunk proto-classic belongs to my generation. We are the fans that this live-action film is being made for, and we will break the box office. It's a great idea from a financial standpoint. So... Let me start my argument with something that everybody can agree on universally, and that is that the 1988 version of Akira is a cinematic masterpiece. Here's where I'm going to get belligerent with you, Matt. There is no modernization or remake of a cinematic masterpiece that has ever been needed or ever been good. They just remade Ben-Hur in 2016, and it was terrible. Vince Vaughn ruined Psycho in 1988. What's next? Are they going to remake 2001? Uh... Actually, I, I, it, it's really funny that, that you, you make that point because I hate the idea of a sacred cow. Ideas are meant to be explored and extrapolated. And if we did not, we would never build on the knowledge that came before us. And, and just to answer your question, we can remake movies like A Star is Born and build on that story, adding new layers of meaning. And I'm excited to see where Leonardo DiCaprio and Taika Waititi can take this story. Tetsuo! Connie died indeed, Matt, because here's my thing, right? Transitioning from animation to live action really limits the visual expression that a filmmaker can use. There are certain abstract concepts that work really beautifully when they're animated, but then trying to put them in real life just makes them ugly and not real. Probably the most memorable part of Akira is Tetsuo's transformation scene. Uh, Just imagine the crappy CGI monster with really stretched out and ugly skin texture wrapped around a real-life skyscraper and the people awkwardly acting around it instead of working with a real thing. It's going to be terrible. No, actually, I think it's going to be great. Can't wait for that scene. After two disappointing entries, nobody was excited for another Thor movie. Lo and behold, Thor Ragnarok was a smash hit and universally praised. So what changed? Taika Waititi the odds-on favorite to direct the Akira movie. Frankly, I would watch anything from this guy, but Akira sold. Okay, and my next point is a question, right? Have we not had enough of these live-action remakes already? Just just the other week, Cinema Jaw had its summer movie preview, and not a single person was excited for the other live-action remakes coming out, Aladdin and Lion King. I have my own feelings on this, admittedly, But I think this statement applies to everybody that a lot of us just want a new story. We don't want something that we've already seen. All right. But this ain't Disney, okay? And it's been over 30 years, Phil. The animated classic stands. It never had a crappy sequel. It will not be tarnished by a live action take. So let's see it. 
Get over your fears. Get over your fanboy insecurities. Frankly, just like Alita Battle Angel, you will love it. Here's here's uh, probably my biggest point, and it's not even against it being live action, but it's just that, that the industry making this film is a little corrupted in and of its own, right? And it's that Taika Waititi, while an amazing director, this is quite frankly not his story to tell. Akira, the original manga, manga by Katsuhiro Otomo, is a story about Japanese people <clears throat> taking place in Japan and about Japan. I love Taika Waititi, and I agree with you completely, but there are so many talented Japanese-American directors or Japanese directors who are underrepresented and more deserving of telling this story, and they're choosing not to. Just let us have this. Woof. We're button heads here on Cinema War. Ryan. What did you think of this argument? This was some cinema. Let me tell you, I got your head was on a swivel. Yeah, going back hats and forth. off, <laughs> gentlemen. Hats off because I, I went in. I, it's tough to just be completely unbiased. You go in, you think right. like I think I'm going to lean this way, but let's see what everybody has to say. Phil comes out of the gate strong, so I'm like, oh god, this is Phil's, you know. But then Matt brought up some really good points, and I love uh, Tika Wat. Taika, Taika Waititi, he, he's great, and, and what a talent. And I have come around on the fact that, yes, you can build off of original art. I know I'm very strict on this idea that, hey, some things shouldn't be touched. I, I do believe in, in sacred cows. But now I've been opened up to the light that, yes, you can grow off of that to some degree. But Phil's last Uh-oh. point. Yeah, that was a good one. Damn it! Why didn't you really go first good. with that point? Because I took a high school class once. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I think putting that all together, you have a masterpiece here that is a Japanese story, and and it's animated so beautifully that really, I, as much as I, I yes, I'm okay at times with uh, you know a, a remake that may shoot it into a new direction that we weren't thinking. I don't think it needs to be done for this in particular, and I don't think it needs to be Hollywoodized. Uh, it should stay in the hands of a, a Japanese filmmaker. I think that was the best point. Uh, and I because agree. of that, I give Phil the win. Well, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, um, Phil. I, I feel honored. Uh, it's validating to know that I'm right. Uh, and don't email. This is the one time I will tell you not to email at feedback at cinemajaw.com. Uh, for my 20 seconds, I will go over uh, because I do love Alita. And just to break down, it's I'm not See, contradicting that point about it. Because the one, the Alita... Uh, um, it was never an anime. It was, but it wasn't that great. Like the anime, it's not like anything to take home. It's really just a different way of delivering the same story. Also, I did mention this in the uh, the jaw that we reviewed it. Alita does take place. It's impossible to whitewash that story because it takes place in actual Kansas. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, but that was a great film, and I think that that's like a, a kind of like a, a pop off exception. I don't know if that's something that we can expect from like take right. Ghost in the Shell was terrible. So are you going to go see the Kira movie? Because it looks like it is going to happen. I mean, are you going to protest? I I really protest. don't know. I probably would protest. I'm not going to see Lion King, so no, I'm not and not see a protest Lion King either. I am going to see Aladdin though. I, on a couple of these, uh, early on when they started doing these these remakes in, in somewhat rapid fire, and I was getting disinterested with them, what I would do is the weekend that it would open, I would watch the original at home, and I there felt justification. Like, all right, hey, that's it. I'll I'll watch whatever they were remaking. I'll watch the original at home and let you know the. The masses be asses. 
Well, hey, I, I, an excuse to rewatch uh, the original dubbed version of Akira is or always... Or subbed. Or yeah. read the manga, because the manga is even longer. I, I, Dude, I, the manga is like a stack of telephone books. It's I, ridiculous. I bought it on Blu-ray uh, a couple of years ago, and I haven't opened it up yet. So I'm, I'm dying to finally give it a I, spin in the screening room. Wow. I think it's on like all streaming, too, for Jawheads. Hmm. I know it's on Hulu. I'm 99% sure it's on Netflix. I, I just can't listen to the new voice cast. I love my original voice cast from the 80s. See, here's what I will say. The second voice cast featured one of the guys from Digimon. Uh, and that's all I hear now. So if I watch the second voice dub, for anyone who watched the Digimon series as a kid. Who's that big voice actor, uh, Mercer? Isn't he in it too? I don't remember. Beats me, man. Beats me. Okay. Epic War. Phil wins. I mean, he, he's 1-0. and You might might as well just retire now and just be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. It'll happen again, Phil. Yes. All right, Matt. We always like to end Cinema Jaw with trivia. Yeah. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, this is always exciting. One of the... Things we offer, if you answer our riddles correctly, is a chance to take Matt K on in trivia. And the March riddle winner, it took us a little while to get him on, but the March riddle winner was Sean Verma from Tennessee. And he said, yeah, I want to take Matt on. And not only that, he's going to bet Matt K yeah. something personal here. Um, let, let's get Sean on the line. Sean, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, nice to be here. Doing uh, well, looking man. Looking forward to this, Matt. I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> yeah, we, it, should, it should be fun. I, I researched that uh, the, the bet a fair bit as yeah. far as what you could put up. So, so it should be good. So let's tell the Jawheads about this uh, bet because we emailed back and forth uh, saying that we will have you on to take Matt on in trivia, and and you responded with uh, an idea to bet him. Uh, what what exactly? What were you putting up as your your bet, Sean? Well, you know, when Matt uh, picked, I guess when you guys selected me as the winner of the March Riddle, Matt mentioned uh, that I should uh, get you guys some of the uh, fine Tennessee whiskey that you, we get in Nashville. So I figured I'd put up uh, a bottle of Tennessee whiskey, fine Tennessee whiskey, if uh, if Matt manages to beat me. And Matt uh, would would put up something that's uh, uh, that's uh, uh, you know sort of trademark Chicago, which is a uh, a, a brewery in Chicago called Cobalt, uh vodka from there. So uh, this should be good. In all honesty, my first gut reaction was to to give you a bottle of Malort. <laughs> but I think that's like you know, a lose lose. I lived in the for a while. So <laughs> have you have you had Malort? I have. I, I went okay. to school in Michigan. Uh, took lots of road trips to Chicago. Uh, and yeah, it is more uh, more more punishment than reward. I concur with your assessment. <laughs> that is true. Good times, uh, Sean. When, when we have the chance to talk to the Jawheads like this, we do like to ask uh, how you discovered the podcast and how long you've been listening to Cinema Jaw. Uh, so, uh, how long have I been listening? Probably for the better part of about two years now. Wow. Um, so, so fa- fairly long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, how did I discover Cinema Jaw? I mean, I. I, I, I really enjoy sort of I'm 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 I, I I'm a cinephile. I watch a lot of movies, uh, and really what I was looking for was was podcasts that matched my interest. And Cinema Jaw, at that time I don't know if it's still true, but had the tagline of the greatest movies podcast. So Absolutely. I was curious, and then 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 I heard you guys, and uh, and I really enjoyed the show. And since then I've been uh, I've been listening along um, every every week actually pretty religiously. 
that great is, to hear. Thanks yeah. so much. Honored. Thank you, Sean. That doesn't mean I'm going to take it easy on you in trivia, though. Ooh. <laughs> I want that whiskey, dude. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So in honor of John Wick, we are playing movie titles with the main character listed in the title. Title, character, trivia. Title, character, trivia. There you go, right? You like it, Matt? Yes. All right. Very succinct. Uh, Sean, you listened to the the jaw, so uh, you should know, but I'm going to give you the rules anyways. You're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt K go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any question, you get one trip into the fish tank for Phil Me and Phil. How do you want to play it here, Sean? Um, I'll go first because I think you guys give the easiest question first. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and Sean, you should know that all the jawheads listening right now are cheering for you to beat Matt Kay. I'm cheering for him, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question one over to Sean. Tom Cruise played Jerry Maguire. What actress played Dorothy Boyd, who he fell in love with? Uh, Renee Zellweger. Sean is on the board, one to nothing. Question two jumps over to Matt K. Tom Hanks played Forrest Gump. Who played Lieutenant Dan? Gary Steppenwolf Chicago Sinise. <laughs> All right, so we get the easy ones out of the way here. Question number three back over to Sean. In 1997, Johnny Depp, Al Pacino, and Michael Madsen starred in this film about a New York Mafia family. Oh, great movie. Donnie Brasco. Two to one, Sean. Everybody perfect. Matt, see if you can keep keep it rolling here. In 2007, George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Tom Wilkinson starred in this movie about a fixer. Name it. Clooney and Swinton, huh? About a fixer? Um... Michael Clayton. Nice. Wow. All right. Two to two. This is big. Question five. Back over to Sean. In 2006, Kirsten Dunst, Jason Schwartzman, and Rip Torn starred in this Sofia Coppola film. Name it. Kirsten Dunst, Jason Schwartzman, and Rip Torn. Sofia Coppola. The only thing I can think of is the, okay. Um, Character, title, movie I'll, trivia. I'll go to the fish tank. Whoa. Yeah, I'll go to the fish tank. This is big. Into the fish tank we go. Phil, what was the name of that 2006 Kirsten Dunst, Sofia Coppola film? All righty, Sean. Your clue this week, let them it's eat Mary cake. Antoinette, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's Mary Antoinette. I thought of it. I got it. What was the clue, Phil? Let them eat cake? Let them eat cake. Yeah. yeah. That's a giveaway. Wow. Oh, wow. Sorry. Hey, he, he has burned his lifeline here, Sean, on question five, but he did get it correct. It's three to two, question six over to Matt. In the year 2000. What Ju- year? The 2000. Which one? 2000. Good job. All right. Julia Roberts <laughs> starred in the movie Aaron Brockovich. Uh-huh. Who directed that film? Are you kidding me? Hint. He won an Oscar for a different movie that same year. Okay, who directed Aaron Brockovich? Right. Who also won a, an Oscar that year? Yeah, for, for directing a different film. What year? You said the year. Wow. The year 2000, you goofball. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> can you say the year one more time? Uh, boy, I have Who directed no, uh, Aaron Brockovich? I don't know. I'm going to go to the fish tank, wow, too. back-to-back fish tanks. This is huge. Phil, help Matt out here. Who directed Aaron Brockovich? All righty, Matt. So your clue this week, the other film he won for was Traffic. Does that help Matt K out at all? I've seen Traffic. I liked Traffic a lot. I really like Traffic. He directed Aaron Brockovich and Traffic in the same year and won the Oscar for directing Traffic. Who was this man? Uh, was that actually Stanley Kubrick? It was Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Incorrect. We might have a huge breakthrough here. Big swing. Sean, it is is three to two, and you can steal this one. Do you know who directed Aaron Brockovich? And traffic. Steve Soderbergh. Mm. Wow. Big swing here. Four to two, Sean. Two questions left. He can wrap it up here with question number seven. Sean, in 2009, Michael Caine plays a retired Marine who seeks revenge against local drug dealers. What was the name of that movie? Oh, my God. 2009, Michael Caine. <laughs> a, re- uh, <laughs> a retired Marine <laughs> seeks revenge against local drug dealers. Name it. And this wasn't Batman, uh, The Dark Knight. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of. Um... um Okay, I uh, I pass. Not well versed in Michael Caine movies. Incorrect, Matt. You got a chance for a steal, and to crawl back into it. It's four to two currently. All right, so I know the last name is Brown, and I can't think of the first name. It's not. It, it, I I want to say it's Michael Brown, but that doesn't sound right to me. It, so much on the line here. Yeah. Bottle of whi- whiskey, a bottle of vodka. Um, is it like Lefty Brown or four or to two, Sean? Something Brown. Um, you got five seconds, Matt K. Uh, Michael Brown. Damn it! What that is, is it? Incorrect. It's something Brown, right? You were damn close, Matt. Harry Brown. Harry, Harry Brown. Brown. <laughs> oh. Wow that 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 gives the win already to Sean. But we do have one last question, uh, Matt. Uh, question eight. Billy Elliot. Uh-huh. The beautiful film about a boy wanting to be a ballet dancer came out in the year 2000. Who really? played Billy Elliot? Um, Harry Brown. It was Harry Brown. <laughs> or was it Michael Caine? <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Sean, do you know who played Billy Elliot? Um... A really good dancer. Um, no, I have no idea who Thank played Billy wow. Elliot. Wow. <laughs> I'm happy. Thank you, Sean, for not knowing that one. Hey, the, la- the it was Jamie Bell. <laughs> Jamie Bell. And what's he done since? Oh, he's made a name for himself. Oh, he's has been he? In- yes, he has. Okay, and what? He was in Les Mis. He's been in a few things. All right, name one he, more. He was the thing in the bad Fantastic Four movie. All right, there you go. Was he really? <laughs> I don't think so. He was. <laughs> really? We'll have to look well, at it. Um, we did have a jawbreaker if it came down to it. Um, it was this better Adam Sandler character title film, Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? Matt? Billy Madison. 
I would have gave that to you. It is Billy Madison. The real jawbreaker is age of Sofia Coppola closest to Matt. You got to guess. I think she's. I think she's just about my age. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say she is. 43. Lock him in at 43, Phil. Sean, you got a guess? Uh, she was in The Godfather 3, right? Um, 43 is actually pretty reasonable. I think she's a little older, though. Probably, let's go 51. We'll give that one actually to Sean, believe it or not. Really? F- 47, but she actually turns 48 on May 14th. All right. So, happy birthday, Sophia. <laughs> happy birthday, Sophia. <laughs> Sean, you win this one. Congratulations. Awesome. I'm excited for my bottle of vodka, Matt. Hell yeah, man. Koval. It's uh, it's really good stuff, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, there, there's a chance you may be in yeah, Chicago, I... huh? Yeah, yeah, in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll shoot you guys an email, and we'll, uh, we'll plan it out from there. We'll figure out the logistics. But uh, from all of us here on Cinema yeah. Jaw, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing along, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Ah, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, that was fantastic, man. Love oh, it. Good Love times. it. Even though you lost in trivia, I see a smile on your face. I, I had fun, man. I lost the, the war. I lost in trivia. But you know what? I didn't lose this evening because I'm, I'm doing cinema job. Right? <laughs> How about that for some sincerity, huh? Absolutely. Brings us to the end of, of a great cinema jaw. Yeah, can't even <laughs> talk <laughs> anymore. Uh, first and foremost, we got to thank the man behind the glass, Phil Me and Phil. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I haven't had a plug in a while, but I am excited this week. I'll make it as quick as I can. Uh, as you guys know, a lot of you know, I like to draw and I like to animate. Uh, I, I am officially starting. So the la- I, I will have a Twitch stream started uh, where I animate and draw. It's at P-Chan Art. Uh, I have a link in there. It's a little clownfish, P-C-H-A-N-A-R-T. Uh, and it would be super cool uh, if you guys watch just to see how I make some of the stuff I make. Oh, I'm going to watch. I'm going to troll you in the chat. Going to put all kinds of dirty emojis in there and stuff. Nothing. There are a few things that would make me happier. I will totally, totally do that. Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. Yes. Thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get awesome sponsors like them. Yes. Also, again, a shout out to Jawhead, Sean Verma, who took you down in trivia. Thanks for calling in, Sean. Total blast. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, I love the Jawheads. I do, too. I do, too. a lot of fun. I, hey, I hope more of uh, you guys out there listening will choose to uh, play trivia. And who knows, Ryan? Maybe we'll we'll kick it over to you. You can be the contestant one day. Maybe. I maybe. mean, Phil's doing Cinema War, cats and dogs <laughs> sleeping together, the... mass hysteria. Absolutely. Until next week, I'm Ryan, the movie guy. I'm Matt Kay, and, and keep, keep on jawing about, about the movies. movies.